Our band at this morning, if the ending was a little too painful and if you thought maybe I, sh- I cut it, the song a little short, we're going to answer that question, though. Uh, what do you want for Christmas? Um, if I had a chance to meet you, my name is Joe, one of the pastors here. And uh, this Christmas, I actually learned a new word, um, a new Christmas word that summarizes, surprisingly, one of the things that I really love about Christmas and what I really like about winter. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we sent out a, started sending out a survey in our email asking people what they hoped their Christmas would look like, just getting some feedback. What, what, what do you want this Christmas? What do you like about Christmas? What do you not like about Christmas? Um, uh, what do you hope to do differently? And one of the questions we asked was, is what, what makes Christmas special to you? And uh, someone said this. Um, uh, he said, uh, uh, Huga. I had to look up that pronunciation pronunciation um, because uh, I didn't know. And uh, I didn't know what that word was, so I had to Google not only how to pronounce it, but what it meant. And, and I was pleasantly surprised. How many people know, know this word? Like, yeah, the majority of us do not know this word. And, and the, the person who... What person who did the survey? Are they, they here? They want to name it? No, I got invited to a party as well, but but uh, they're, the person who hosting that is in the children's space. So here's what it means, and, and maybe you like it as well. Uh, it means uh, really at the heart of its meaning, it means to cherish oneself, but it kind of means this bigger picture of like cozy and snug. It's a Danish word, um, and they invented being comfortable in cold weather. Um, they have to deal with that. But it's this idea. It's like this idea of sitting in this big armchair with a good book uh, in front of an open fire with wool rugs and candles and drinking hot drinks with pastries, all listening to a classic Christmas album. (sighs) Doesn't that sound great? Huga. That's what that is. There's a word for it. Um, what I love about this particular answer, though, is not only did they summarize what I love about the Christmas and the winter season, is they also said, also, you know, like, oh, in addition to this wonderful feeling of sitting by a fire, um, reflecting on how absurdly wonderful the Christmas story is, you know, in like a life-changing sort of way. And I'm like, yes, right, Jesus. Uh, that too, Jesus, um, I like, that's a big part of Christmas for me as well. And it's this idea that like God would come to earth, would move into the neighborhood to be with us and to love us and to save us. I mean, it just has these profound implications and, and it means things that I keep unpacking every year, this idea that God would, would become one of us. So for me, I think these two things summarize what I love about Christmas, what I want in Christmas. Fireplaces, armchairs, and the incarnation. You know, not in that order particularly, but, like, th- but those things. Now, of course, people gave a lot of other answers as well. And really, some, you all who participated in the survey, you offered some really good insights on what makes Christmas great. Uh, just a side note, if you're like, what survey? You should read our weekly email, because um, we did not talk about it up front either. And you're like, I don't know about this survey. It's because you didn't read the email, and, uh, which is fair. I don't always read it either. Um, but uh, uh, you, some really interesting things about what they love about Christmas, but also what, what you find painful or annoying or even immoral, like what you really struggle with. And so as we looked over these answers and we read people's responses, um, we, I saw a couple of trends, and that's what I want to share with you. Three things that, that, if we, that if we look at these things, if we wrestle with these things, we're more likely to have the Christmas we always wanted. So that's what I want to talk about in this series. Uh, using your insight, we've got three things we heard over and over again in the survey. 
Um, and so here, here's the first one. All I want for Christmas is, is the first thing that we heard, is for it to be more meaningful and more about Jesus. This showed up over and over again. Here's how one person said it. Um, their response said, it's just amazing daily to me that God, the transcendent God who is almighty and omniscient, who is creator of all, took upon himself to take a body formed for him and enter our world, leaving heaven and his father to come as a baby to live and die for us because we are sinners blows my mind every day. It's a pretty rich response, but, but we saw this in a very subtle way, this desire written throughout the survey for Christmas to be more meaningful. And then in other places, it was just like to be specifically more about Jesus. But then, you know, sometimes people are just like, I want it to be meaningful in the general. So in, in fact, regardless of where you're at, whether you believe in Jesus or not, the desire for Christmas to be meaningful is pretty standard. It's, it's the plot of almost every Christmas movie ever made, whether Jesus is a part of the movie or not. Uh, so we're going to talk more about that one today and offer some really small things that you can do this Christmas that you can start doing today to make it more meaningful and to make it specifically more about Jesus. So the second thing we notice is this. All I want for Christmas is to, to have a different perspective on gift giving. When we asked people what they didn't like about Christmas, what they found annoying or painful or, you know, not that great, the number one thing people said had to do with giving gifts or materialism. It was like 50% of the responses of what we didn't like about Christmas as a community had to do with, people said, the pressure to buy things, materialism, consumerism, the emphasis on material things. In fact, here's what one person wrote. Uh, they said, it's expensive. I love buying gifts but it can be stressful when you have a big family, which is totally, I get that. I get that because I'm one of seven kids. It's very expensive, especially now that they all have their own kids and at some point you just have to stop, you know, because the list gets really long. So not only do people, um, we've heard people say, well, we want it to be more meaningful, we want it to be more about Jesus, but it's not, um, we want to figure out how to buy less, um, we want to figure out how to spend less money. We want to figure out how, and it's not even about giving gifts. This is what I heard as we kind of like thought through some of these responses. It's like, I, I'm totally all about giving gifts. It's just something about gift giving is like ruining Christmas. That's what we heard. Like there's something about it. Like I like the idea and I like giving and I like receiving, but the culture of gift giving that we live in is just a real struggle. And it's like providing some negative impact on or negative influence on, on Christmas. So we're going to talk more about that one next week and give you some really simple things you can do if you haven't already, you know, bought all your gifts, which if you have, you're better than me. We're going to talk about that next week. So finally, the last trend that we saw um, was all I want for Christmas is my family with stipulations. <laughs> okay. So when we asked people, what's one thing you really like about Christmas? They said, my family. When we asked people, what do you find particularly annoying about Christmas? They said, my family. And it was like the answer to both of them. And, and as we wrestled through this, there was this sense that like, no, family is what makes Christmas so, I want to spend time with family. I want to slow down. I don't want it to be about just buying stuff. I want, but then there's also this real honest struggle with like, well, which grandparents get to see the grandkids on Christmas day? And which get to see him on Christmas Eve? And how are we going to make these schedules work? And it's just, and then, and then maybe there, there's some other people who've wrestled with Christmas wrestling family because they've lost someone. 
And Christmas is especially painful because they lost someone and they, they're wrestling with that. And it comes up in a very profound way because of the holidays and those memories attached to the holiday. And then other people is like, I don't get along with my family. Now I have to spend what I want to be a beautiful holiday with people that I just don't get along with and it's a real struggle. So I'm not going to deal with that one. Alyssa's going to talk about it. <laughs> And in three weeks, he's going to talk about, you know, just some really uh, simple things around um, uh, wrestling with family, the things we love and the things we hate about family, um, the good and the bad. So today we're going to start with the first one. Before we do, um, let's, uh, let's pray. God, as we come before you and as we uh, begin to reflect on the Christmas um, season and as we uh, go to you to seek um, perspective and we wrestle with some of the things we love and hate about about this season and about what our culture has made. It just open our eyes, uh, help us have an imagination to imagine a different way of living, a different way of interacting, and uh, give us the courage to step out and do something differently. Um, it's your name we pray. Amen. Every time uh, this, this time of year uh, in Advent leading up to Christmas, I, um, I find myself pulling out a book um, that I've read. And I've done it enough years in a row that I have now decided this year that it is one of my Christmas traditions, which, by the way, if you'd like for your Christmas to be more meaningful, find traditions that are meaningful to you and, and do them as a rhythm in your life and, and create new traditions, especially if some of the old ones, like gift giving, carries a lot of baggage. Um, but this book is a bit unlikely uh, book to read around the Christmas time. It's not The Night Before Christmas. It's not Dr. Seuss's The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. It's not Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. All great books, but those aren't the books that I read. That isn't the book I read every Christmas. The book I read every Christmas is a collection of letters and papers written to and from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a pastor and theologian from the 1940s. Now, doesn't that title just get you in the Christmas spirit? Um, and to be honest, there's not even any photos in this book. Um, but there are letters and papers, uh, to make it even more Christmassy, uh, letters and papers he wrote while in prison. Dietrich was a Christian pastor, writer, and theologian in Germany during the time of the Nazis. Um, and seeing the Nazis as uh, evil, he actually joined a movement to try to bring Hitler down and, and got involved in an assassination attempt. And he found out, um, they found him out and they put him in prison and he was eventually ex executed for the crime. So while in prison, though, he wrote a lot of letters to his families and friends, and they wrote letters back, and they put these together into this book. And in these letters, he reflects on the life in prison. He reflects on theology and ethics. I mean, he's written some really profound books on the Christian faith. I don't agree with everything he says or writes, but I find his stuff very interesting. Now, around Christmas, I don't read the whole book. It's pretty thick. Um, but I, I do like to read his letters he wrote around um, the season of Advent. He, he's in prison leading up to Christmas. And those 25 days leading up to Christmas, he's, he's reflecting on Christmas as in prison. And I like to do it because I'm curious. How would someone like him celebrate Christmas? You see, if you want to know how to have a meaningful Christmas, I think this is a really great place to look. Think about it. He's German, which means his people basically invented Christmas as a holiday. 
Okay. The vast, like the majority of our Christmas trees, Advent wreaths, even buying stuff, you know, they're with their Christmas markets. Like Germans invented the holiday Christmas and they love it. And Dietrich loves Christmas as well. So he's German. He's an expert on Christmas too. Um, he's a deep thinker. He's a philosopher and a theologian, which means he can unpack some of these deeper things in life and faith. So that he's good to go to for that. And on top of that, he's forced to celebrate Advent and Christmas behind bars, away from his family and friends. So all of the normal things that we usually take for granted for Christmas um, are taken away from him. No gifts, no tree, um, hardly ever gets to see us anyway, and yet he still celebrates Christmas. So we ask the question, how? If anyone was going to understand how to have a more meaningful Christmas, it'd be a German Christmas fanatic who is deeply theological and currently locked up. I mean, that's just logical. So I read his Advent letters again in this year with this in mind, looking for anything that he might teach me. And, and, and there was a lot of things that popped out, but there were really two things that stood out to me. The first one is that he makes a very bold claim about Christmas itself. He says, and I've shared this in the past, I don't know to this community or not, but, but he, says, um, he says this. He says, from a Christian point of view, there is no special problem with Christmas in a prison cell. Let's just stop and think about that for a second. Here's someone who's in prison because he attempted to take down Hitler. And uh, so he's in a Nazi prison, and they aren't known for nice prisons. And at this point, Berlin is actually being bombed by the Allies. And so already, most of the cells in his surrounding uh, wing of the prison, their windows have been shattered out because of these bombs are dropping nearby. And so now he's in this prison. People are wounded, and he worked in the hospital. Of course, he worked in the hospital. So he's going to the hospital to help bat, you know, bandage people up. The windows are all shattered out, so it's freezing cold. The prison, not his coming, he says, it is warmer than other cells because his window didn't break, but a lot of the other windows did break, so the cold air is coming in. And he says, in this context, from a Christian point of view, there's no special problem with Christmas in a prison cell. Now, he doesn't mean this in a natural sense. He very much wishes he could be home. You read these in his letters. He wishes he wasn't in a cell. He wishes he was with his fiance. But he says, if we step back and we think of this from a deeply theological perspective, he says, there's no special problem with Christmas in a prison cell. And he goes on explaining why. He says, for many people in this building, it will probably be a more sincere and genuine occasion than in places where, where nothing but the name is kept. And you're like, oh... Preach it, Dietrich. He seems to suggest that Christmas, the story of God coming to earth, is especially meaningful when properly understood to those who are hurting. Because it's about God coming in flesh to heal hurting people. That, that it's especially meaningful to those who are oppressed. Because it's about God, as Jesus, coming to earth to liberate oppressed people. And so for those who are hurting, for those in the margins, for those in prison, for those hurting, they have a chance to understand Christmas from a more genuine place than those who celebrate it only in name. He goes on and says that Christ was born in a stable because there was no room for him in the inn. These are the things that a prisoner can understand better than other people. For him, they really are glad tidings. 
I don't want to glorify suffering um, or make it seem like suffering is good. Um, uh, I think Christians have a tendency to do that sometimes. But what I want to do is, is suggest this. In our search for the perfect Christmas, I fear sometimes that we miss the meaning of Christmas. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we want everything to be great and everything to be fun and everything to be cozy, when, we, when that's what we're longing for, we tend to miss the true meaning of Christmas, and Christmas can become stale. See, you have to remember, Jesus' birthday, the actual day of Jesus' birth was full of meaning, but it was not perfect, and it was not cozy, and it was not comfortable, no matter how much the songs try to suggest so. It was probably not silent either. Think about it like this. In, in the birth story, uh, Jesus you know, was born in a, in a stable, uh, placed in a feeding trough. And nearby there were shepherds who were um, watching their sheep by night. You know the song? And, um, and, and, and these angels show up and say, the, the king of the universe you know, is, is here. He's been born not far from you. You'll find him and you'll know, you'll know that you found the person we're talking about because it'll be a baby lying in a, in a feeding trough. And the question that, that we wrestle with as we read the story is, why would God choose shepherds to be the first to see baby Jesus? Because here's the thing you need to know about shepherds. This would have, this would have been a little bit, um, this would have surprised people as they're hearing the story, because shepherds weren't very trustworthy. Um, they were poor, they were low class, and this particular group of shepherds were the night shift shepherds, so they're the lowest of the lowest. They probably smelled bad, and they were, they were viewed by most people as untrustworthy. In fact, shepherds, um, because they were nomadic, they were grazing their sheep on other people's land. So the shepherds weren't well-liked. So why would God choose them? And here's one reason. There's lots, actually, reasons. There's a lot of depth around the shepherds, uh, if you get into it. But here's one that I want you to think about. The, the shepherds wouldn't think it strange to find a baby lying in a feeding trough. As shepherds living on the land and raising their children in poverty, that wouldn't make them uncomfortable. And I wonder if maybe God chose them in part because Mary and Joseph and the events surrounding the birth of Jesus was the kind of events that the shepherds, they wouldn't be thrown off by it. And think about it this way. I wonder if Jesus was born today and Jesus was born in a homeless shelter and he was placed in a bucket for his first nap and he was nursed next to farm animals, how would this respond? Would you be able to worship Jesus or would you be distracted by the surroundings? Honestly. Uh, me, I would be distracted by the surroundings. Like, Mary, we can do better. What's going on? ABC's a safe sleep. As a Celebrate One partner, a shepherd or a prisoner or a homeless person or anyone living on the margins of society isn't uncomfortable with the low position of Jesus, with the absolute humility of Jesus. So here's the first thing I want to suggest if you want Christmas to be more meaningful to you. Consider Christmas through the eyes of the marginalized, through the perspective of poor, hurting, hungry, the broken. And this is a season where people love to give and where people love to volunteer at charities. Oh my gosh, we, we, uh, we have one of our partners in ministries, uh, Compassion Way. They just did a Thanksgiving meal in Franklinton. And I was, I was talking with the guy who runs it. His name's Roberto. And he said, you know, this season just brings out volunteers. So they have a sign-up sheet um, with the number of volunteers they need. And then the event happens and all of these other people show up because it's Thanksgiving. And it's like the season to give back. So this is, this is very common. Of course, it just causes chaos, and there's not enough for everyone to do, and it's 
It's not helpful. We have love to we for the Christmas shop, by the way, if you want to volunteer. Just throw that out there. But um, we love to. We love to give and we love to volunteer to charities this time of year. That is great. And there's, we encourage it. We have a sign up. We're providing place for you to give and to serve. But that is not the same thing as having empathy. It's not the same thing as looking at the Christmas story through someone else's perspective. So, so that's the challenge. Try to see the Christmas story, a story of God being born into poverty from the eyes of someone who lives it every day. That's the first lesson I learned from Bonhoeffer's Christmas letters. Here's the second one. He goes on and he says this. In the same letter, he says, and that faith gives him a part, him being the, the Christian, faith gives him a part in the communion of saints, a Christian fellowship breaking the bounds of time and space and reducing the months of confinement here to insignificance. Bonhoeffer believes something we often forget, that for those who um, follow Christ, who claim to be a Christian, who have the Holy Spirit, our bond with each other isn't limited to just spending time with each other, that we belong to this mysterious communion, a community of people uh, who love God that includes all of those who live and all of those who have died and those who worship next to us and those who worship on the other side of the world. And this bond made all the difference for him in prison. He goes on to say in another letter, um, he says, uh, one of my greatest joys this Christmas. So at this point, Dietrich is in prison and he had this hope that he would get to go home for Christmas. The guards had told him that he might get to go home for Christmas. Not that his sentence would be over, but that he would just get to go home, um, spend Christmas with his family, and then he'd have to come back to prison. And they were telling him this. As they got closer to Christmas, he realized that was just another way of them torturing him by creating this sort of false hope. And so at this point, he knows pretty definitely that he's going to be spending Christmas Day in a prison cell. And he writes, one of my greatest joys this Christmas is that we have again been able to exchange the Losingen for the coming year. Now, this uh, Losingen was a German publication that included readings from the Bible every uh, day of the year out of the Moravian tradition. It was a daily devotional. You know the Version Bible app, Daily Verse? Imagine that before phones. They've been publishing this since the 1700s and still publish it today. You can look it up and buy it on Amazon. I think it's on Amazon, um, even. And so they've been doing this, and it was very common for Germans and then for other Christians, German Christians, they began to become missionaries spreading this around the world. And for him, reading the same biblical text, saying the same prayers as other people in the faith, specifically his friends and his family, was what was making his Christmas truly special. Because it was one of the ways that he kept that bond between them alive. And knowing that he would get a, a copy of it again, that, you know, the next year's, the 2019 version of it again, was the best present of all. He goes on to say, he says this, And now this book, which has meant so much to me in the past months, will be with us throughout the next year too. And when we read it in the morning, we shall think especially of each other. Something about spending time with God, knowing other people you love are doing the same thing, is a truly beautiful experience. You know, it's our tendency in American Christianity, one of the, most, one of the primary ways we grow in our faith, especially in American Christianity, 
is to spend time with God alone. I, I can't emphasize it enough. Every, every day on a regular basis, opening the Bible, spending time in prayer, it's the, studies have shown it's the best way to grow in your faith. But one of the things I feel like we miss is that we do it by ourselves. Because, friends, it is possible to spend time alone with God, not by yourself. You know what I'm saying? Really, you are personally, in the morning, in the evening, you're opening the Bible, you're reading it, but there's something really beautiful that happens when you realize that your small group, that your church community, they're all reading the same passage, they're all reflecting on the same question, and they're saying the same prayers. This is an ancient form of growing in your faith. And he says, this is my greatest joy this Christmas, knowing that I have this. I might not have anything else, but I have this. So here's what you can do to make Christmas more meaningful and more about Jesus. Number one is um, look at Christmas through the eyes that are marginalized. Realize that Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blinds and to set the oppressed free. And number two, spend time every day with God alongside each other. If this is hard to remember, here's another way. First, spend time with Jesus. And two, spend time with people Jesus loved. Simple as that. And it can be great meaning. So to help you with that, we're going to do a couple things. First off, we are publishing a daily Advent reading. We're like, well, let's do this. And so over the season of Advent, we're going to, we have it. It's on your update. There's a list of passages, but there's also reflections and prayers if you go to centralcity.co slash Advent. And the challenge is, as a community, as your small group, as a member of this community, that, that you would take time every day to read a short passage. It's all the different stories relating to the Christmas story, including Old Testament passages prophesying it, and stories from the Gospel of uh, John, Luke, and Matthew. And you'll work through both the Old Testament and through the Christmas story leading all the way up to Christmas. Um, the shepherds, wise men, angels, they're all in there. It's really great. And we encourage you to do that. Um, that's the first thing. Um, I think there could be really something special happening when we sit and we read scripture alone together. The next thing is we want to actually end today by practicing uh, some of what we talked about. So I have a good friend here, uh, Mike Moeller, he's going to come up. Um, uh, Mike Moeller is part of an organization called Continue the Story. You might have seen their uh, uh, posters there along the side. And he's going to talk a little bit about um, his ministry, uh, The Drop, and uh, something that we can do right now before we leave today that I think will just help us have a more meaningful Christmas. So come on up, Mike. Yes, welcome him. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? My name is Mike Moeller. <clears throat> I'm the, I, I, I have an awesome uh, privilege of getting to work with a nonprofit called Continue the Story. Our entire mission and vision is to uh, build stronger, or help build stronger families impacted by the prison system. And so that's been our main vision. And we have multiple ways we do that, but our, our, during the Christmas season, we have one of my absolute favorite things that we do is called the drop. So but before I, I tell you a little about that, I just have a quick question. I always like to have a show of hands. Right. If you would ever say in this room that you've ever messed up at least once in your life, right? I always do that one because let's be real. Like if you if you didn't raise your hand, it's like reading like you didn't read the weekly emails. Like <laughs> we know who you are, you know. Um, no, but we all have messed up. We all have had moments in our lives where we experience failure. We experience. Um, shame of our past, guilt of our past, and it doesn't have to be anything that maybe led us to prison. It could just simply enough that we hurt our loved ones, that we, we cheated or we lied, or we did something that we just know God is not the biggest fan of. And so 
Uh, that's kind of my story. I'm not going to tell you a lot of my story today because I really want to focus on the draft, but really the draft is a, a personal thing from my life. Uh, same with continuous story. It, it kind of starts about five and a half years ago when I found myself sitting in jail. Um, I was serving a 60-day jail sentence, and as a result, I, my life, I've hurt many people. I didn't mean to, but I have. I have there's been a huge ripple effect as a result of my life, and I lived in shame and guilt and just a disbelief that God could still love me for many years. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've got a master's of divinity. I'm theologically trained, and yet when you make a mistake, it's so easy to forget that Jesus actually loves you. And so there are so many people in prison around the holidays that forget Jesus loves them. There are people in prison who honestly forget that they matter and that they are a human being. And so we created a program last year called The Drop. It is legitimately just sending Christmas cards of hope, encouragement, of joy, and love to people in prison. And last year we thought it was like, we're going to do this crazy goal of sending 1,000 Christmas cards to people in prison in Ohio. And then it turned into, like, in two days we had 1,000 already committed. And so we're like, let's go to 2,000. And we ended up doing about 3,300 last year. And this year, we said, well, we got to go bigger. I mean, we got to send out even more to people in Ohio prisons. And so we set out a goal of 5,000 Christmas cards to people in Ohio prisons. And within nine days, we surpassed 5,000 Christmas cards. We're up to like 5,500 now. Um, and today, I was so, I was so glad that uh, Central City wanted to be a part of this as well. And we're going to give you guys an opportunity to actually, uh, we're kind of two ways. One, be here and, and write a Christmas card. Or also, we have these little packs that are packs of 10. They have everything you need in them. We make it very, very simple that you could take home, write as a family, as a small group. Um, you could take as many of those as you want. Um, but what I've experienced in my own personal life is that a simple card really does make a difference. Um, it, it, we sometimes think that, well, what can I say to a random stranger that's really going to impact their life? And this is a really cool story. We just, on uh, Thursday of this week, I went into work uh, and... I had, a, I had a card on my desk, I wanted to, and I opened it up, and it was from somebody we sent a Christmas card to last year who wanted to, he was asking us, just saying, hey, can you guys tell me a little bit more, like, write me back, surprise me, and we posted it all over our Facebook page, and we ended up having, like, 14 people, like, I'll surprise him, and so we're going to flood him even more this Christmas with people who just want to, like, let's just send him hope, love, and encouragement, and it's not a lot of space, you know, it's just the back of a card, but it's enough space to say you matter, that you are loved, and uh, that Jesus loves you. And so uh, I'm super excited about that today. How it's kind of going to work is each one of those, like, these stations, uh, kind of like where the, the benches used to be and stuff, or the stools, is there's 10 cards there, and then there's a list. On that list gives you, like, the inmate name, their inmate number, their location. And so the easiest thing to do would be is to go, uh, if you're going to help us and write a card today, is... Basically, fill out your envelope first, just on the like uh, section there, so that way you know who you're writing to, and then you'd be able to just like check off that person's name on that list, so we don't duplicate all the names. And then you could you could go anywhere in here and, and write a card. Um, but from somebody who I still have every single card that it was ever sent to me in those 60 days, um, it, which is a stack about like this big. Um, that is one of my biggest whys because I actually know firsthand that a card makes a difference. Uh, my sister sent me a card from her dog. Uh, it was like a little paw print. And it was like rough. It came and I'm like, oh, cool. Like, <laughs> like thank you. Like that. But, it, but you know, like it, it became a thing. It became a reality of like each day it knew, I knew I mattered. And in a, really I was in a place that I couldn't, 
I couldn't believe I mattered, but yet people told me I did because I believed the false truth of what we, what we spread on social media, all the hate and, and, and just negativity. I lived that. And um, luckily, I had amazing people in my life that supported me, no matter any of my mistakes, any of my, my past. And I, I do believe that, that um, people in prison do matter. Um, they they may be in there for a reason. I'm adamantly against prison. I'm not I'm not against prisons. I, I believe I was in there for a reason. There's consequences for our actions. I absolutely believe that. But what I've met are some amazing people who are broken, who are hurting, and they just need to have a little hope and a little joy. And so this Christmas season, uh, I, I'm so excited to get a partner with you guys. So you guys also get to help be a part of that as well. So, so uh, specifically writing the addresses, we need to include. Um uh, the, on the list, it has their name, their prison number, and we need to include all of that on the envelope, right? Yes. So, like, there, you'll see... Like, we don't... Do, you, the number's important, and... Yeah, and, like, uh, you'll just do, like, a name, and then... Like, there is a sheet on the desk as well that sh- tells you how to do it. Um, it's just, like, the name, and then you can put parentheses, like, their number, which is, like, A692454. So, we're actually taking time as part of right, our service. Um, we are going to kind of, like, officially end, but... Parents, one thing I'm going to ask you, if, if it's all right, is just wait, um, you know, 10 minutes or so before getting your kids so that not all the other kids are asking for their parents. Um, and I guess I don't know if, that, if, that's a, if that's a problem, you know, waiting 10 more minutes or whether that's a joy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, if you're willing to do that, if, if you got to go, that's understandable. But we, are, we usually go until about 11.15, and so um, it's only 11 o'clock now, so this is kind of part of our service. So we're going to end. We're going to put on some Christmas music. Um, you can just take one of these um, and, head out and do this on your own if you want. He, uh, Mike's got some extras. But I just thought it would be fun as a community to hang out, stand around some tables, sit in chairs, um, and, uh, and do some of these together. Um, and even if you just have one time for one more, that would be great. Yeah, Alyssa? So on the back of that sheet as well, there's only a few sheets around, but uh, they, there's examples too. So like one of my favorites is just simply saying, uh, like, I don't have to know the person, and I don't have to. Like, we don't know their their crime or anything else. We don't know their story, but what we do know is just that that they are loved. And so a lot of my cards are just like Merry Christmas. I know you don't know me, but I want to wish you a Merry Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Please know that people are praying for you. I like to always say that you have somebody rooting for you. Like, that's my personal thing because I'm like, cheerleader, you know, like you got to have a little fun. So I'm always like, you got somebody in your corner fighting for you, fighting with you, and together, like, you have a bright future in the name of Christ. Um, The benefit of working with churches is it gets to be very uh, Christian. Um, It's like a lozogen. Is that right? Yeah. Now I feel like I have <coughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> you know, but sure yeah. the soja, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we have that ability to actually really impact that. And so we've got, um, you, there's no wrong. You can actually, if you have a favorite quote or you have something that you are like the uplifting, go on Google, um, not an ad, and, you know, just look up like your favorite quotes. If you have something or a song lyric or, or even a funny joke. Um, funny jokes are, you know, if you need a joke, you can always use this one as my go-to, which is why was the bicycle too, uh, oh, wow. You know what? When you're on the spot, all of a sudden you just sometimes forget things. That's a joke. Um, okay. So why can't you, uh, here when a pterodactyl goes to the bathroom, their P is silent. <laughs> you have to know how to spell pterodactyl though. It does start with a P, but it doesn't sound like it. So sorry, that's a church joke. That's a church joke, right? Yeah. It's great. It's a great joke. I want to use that. <laughs> no, it's really, it's really wonderful. 
Friends, uh, thanks so much for being in worship today. I do hope that you'll hang out and, uh, and, and, and help us with this. And um, as you go, um, let's, um, let's commit to having a more meaningful Christmas, a Christmas more about Jesus by uh, looking at Christmas through the eyes of the marginalized and to spending time daily with Christ in communion with each other. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. Come on, base.